before we get into this message, let's just ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we, we quiet our hearts before you now. and Lord, thank you so much for the privilege we have of being here this morning and, Lord, already being able to partake in the Lord's Supper and being ministered to and um, through that, Lord. Thank you for working in our hearts. and Lord, I, I can only praise you for your body that was broken and your blood that was spilled on my behalf. And Lord, that's purely, purely grace and mercy that brings me here to this day and, and all of us, Lord. I pray that, that that would be real to all of us this morning. Please come speak to us. We, we need your Spirit to guide us in all that we go through this morning, that you will be ultimately be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 So, um, the Bible warns us that in Second Timothy that we are able to have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And something that Paul is speaking about there specifically is as we reach closer to the end of this church age is that people will have a form of godliness but have denied the power thereof. The Bible also warns us that Christians can grieve and Christians can quench the working of the Spirit in their lives. We also think that we can somehow, by the deeds of the law, by tradition, by I want to say, putting all these external things onto us, we can somehow sanctify or perfect ourselves. And that's exactly what Paul addresses in Galatians 3. He starts by saying that, are you so foolish that having begun in the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Right? And so, when I read these things, the fact that this, that we can have a form of godliness but have denied the power, that we can quench and grieve the Spirit by the fact that we have begun in the Spirit but we somehow think that now that we've, we've been baptized into Christ by the Spirit, we are now perfected by the external things that we stick to ourselves. And um, as God would always have it, He always confirms something that He's bringing to you by one or more um, witnesses. And um, my uncle, who's a pastor in Clarkstock, gave me a book. And in this book, this theme about the working of the Spirit was very, very evident. I want to read you two quotes that come from it. The first says, The very consciousness of being sound in the letter of doctrine has blinded us to the need of a real and constant working of the Spirit in our daily lives. So we can so easily think our consciousness of what is the right doctrine. How do I get the right doctrine? We can get so caught up there that we forget that the very need of the Spirit to work in us through that. It also says that the letter of Scripture can only direct to a doing of that which it cannot perform. The letter of Spirit can only direct, um, can only direct to a doing of that which it cannot perform and give notice of a living reality that it cannot supply. So it can direct us to what we should do, and it can give us notice of what it looks like, but it cannot do it. The letter cannot do it. We need the quickening Spirit. We need God's power through the Spirit to guide us. Now, perhaps I thought to myself, how could I have done this? How could I have denied the power that there is in Christianity. How, and I think the very thing is that you sort of elevate truth, you sort of elevate doctrine, you sort of elevate everything around it, which is good. Those things are good. But if you take the Spirit out of the working of that, it's empty. You see, because Scripture and the Spirit are complementary. They are supposed to... The, this, the Word of God is God-breathed. It's Spirit-breathed. It's given. It's inspired by God through His Spirit. Holy men were moved by the Spirit as they wrote these things. These are God's Word. This is the revelation that came from God through the Spirit. But if we now go and say, okay, now we have that, we don't need the Spirit anymore, these become dead words. And we start sticking dead works to ourselves. They have to go together. And I think, unfortunately, we either fall to one side of this. We overfall to the overly 
spiritualized or charismatic side of things, or we start falling towards this orthodoxy where it's just the law. And we struggle to find that middle. We, we, we go to this over-spiritualization, or we go to sometimes this fundamentalism or orthodoxy. And both of those are not the right position. And so we need the Spirit to guide us to what that position is. And uh, someone who is devoid of the true working of the Spirit falls to either side of that. And I don't want to be on either side of that. I want to be where God wants me to be. And both of those positions become from a wrong understanding of what the work of the Spirit is. And, and Paul, in his ministry, wrote to both those groups. He wrote in, in the book of Corinthians, is, a let, is essentially a letter to people who were overemphasizing the, out, the outworking of the Spirit and so not having the real Spirit, but therefore starting to compare themselves among themselves. I've got this gift, I've got this gift. And so it became the spiritual upliftment which we often see in the charismatic movement today. That is what was, Paul was addressing in, in, in Corinthians. But then we have in Galatia, where Paul is now addressing this over, overly legal side of things, where people have also lost the spirit. They've begun in the spirit, but they've denied the power thereof. They've, they've lost their, their, their initial love because they've turned to these dead works of the law. So both of those things are present in Paul's day, and I think they're present in our day. Now, two things may come up at this point, and you may say, what does this have to do with me? I'm neither charismatic nor purely fundamental. And you may say, I have, I have a biblical stance on what the working of the Spirit is. And I would say, yes, amen, praise the Lord, that is what you should have. But Paul also said that, wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. If you think that you have it perfect, be careful. And you may, do, you may have it, be, but be careful. You could easily fall to overemphasis or underemphasis or just misplaced emphasis when it comes to the working of the Spirit. And secondly, you may say, this is Resurrection Sunday. Why are we talking about the working of the Spirit? <laughs> Please turn your Bible to Romans, Romans chapter 8. Now, this morning we had a, a lesson about it all hinges on the cross. And... Um, I don't think you can speak about everything hinging on the cross without touching on the Spirit. And I'm very thankful that Pastor Mike touched on the Spirit this morning because if I was going to attempt to touch on everything regarding the Spirit, um, this would be a very futile exercise. So I'm thankful he's done some, some work on the, the Spirit this morning already. But in Romans chapter 8 and verse 11, it says, But if the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead while in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. It is the fact that Christ rose by the power of the Spirit that we are here today saved by this working of that same Spirit. That is why we are here. It is because of the resurrection power that we can be saved. If it were not for the resurrection, there would be no salvation. There would be no church. There would be no spirit working the way it works now. So it all hinges on that. Also, if it were not for the spirit, Jesus says, it is, it is what is the word he uses? It is expedient that I depart. Right? Because if I go not, then the comforter will not come. Re referring to the working of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus did not go, we would not have the Spirit. So, and we'll get through that. So the idea this morning and the theme this morning is the necessity of the Spirit. Not, not the, the advantage, not the, the bonus, the, 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 the experience of the Spirit, but the necessity of the Spirit in our lives, all of our lives, as we go about this, this Christian walk, we need the Spirit. And by that I mean it, the, the necessity of understanding the truth regarding the true Spirit and our daily need for this. The truth and the true Spirit. Because you can either distort the working of the Spirit or you can have some other Spirit which you think is working. So either of those are a wrong position. We want the truth of the Spirit, and we want that truth to work in our hearts so that we can serve God as 
He wants us to serve him. You can open to, to John chapter 16, and um, I want us to, to learn a few things together here. And so I'm going to try and boil down the work of the Spirit into three groups, and that is the convicting of the sinner. The second is the converting of the soul, and the third is the comfort of the saint. The convicting of the sinner, the converting of the soul, and the comfort of the saint. Now we'll start off at convicting the sinner. That's where, that's where Paul says in Galatians 3, he said, Having begun in the Spirit, are you now made perfect in the flesh? So the beginning is in the Spirit. So let's have a look at um, John chapter 16. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus speaking to his disciples and he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they believe not on me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and ye see me no more. Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. So the first thing that the Spirit does is he convicts the sinner. And what are the things that he focuses on? He focuses on sin, he focuses on righteousness, and he focuses on judgment. Now what is the sin that he focuses on you? Is it, is, it, is it the sin that you've lied? Is it the sin that you have stolen? Is it your lust? Is it, what is it? It says essentially just in verse 9, the sin because they believe not on me. And many people have asked, is there something like an unpardonable sin? This is it. Yes. The sin of unbelief. This is the sin that cannot be forgiven. Because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Right? So it is only by faith in Christ that we can be made righteous. And that is why it says the sin of unbelief because they do not believe on me. The question, where do you put your faith? Is it as the Galatians started doing it that they start putting their faith in the works of the law? The fact that I'm at church, the fact that I am holding these feast days and that I'm at church on Easter, or what, is it that? Or is it your faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the one makes you focus on yourself. I am a Christian because I do this. Whereas the believers in Acts 11 did not even give themselves the name Christians, but were given the name Christian because they lived the way Christ lived. And so we are to follow Jesus and believe in Him. And that is the first thing, that the, the, the work of the Spirit will convict you of sin. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? as Savior? That, that is a question you need to ask, and that the, the, the Spirit is going to convict you of that. Verse 10 says, Of righteousness, because I go to my Father, and ye see me no more. It is only the righteousness of Christ that is accepted at the Father. Not our own righteousness. Not the things that we do. It is Christ in our stead, on the cross, our sins laid on Him, Him dying the death that we were to die, and, but He Himself being righteous, having no sin, that perfect Lamb of God, bruised and killed for our transgressions. And it is through that, that that righteousness gets imputed to us. Second Corinthians 5 speaks of, For He hath made Him, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we may be made the righteousness of God in Him. So we are literally made the righteousness because that is the only righteousness that is accepted by the, with the Father. And so we cannot do it ourselves. That is something else the Spirit is going to do. He's going to point out to you where it is that you are trying to make yourself pleasing to God so that He might accept you. You cannot. He will point you to Christ. Verse 11 says, Of judgment because the prince of this world is judged. The moment Jesus rose from the dead, Satan was judged. That prophecy in Genesis 3, where the serpent's head will be bruised, that is fulfilled in Christ on the cross. Right? Now there's an 
ultimate fulfillment of that, but sin and death is destroyed in Jesus Christ. The victory is won in Jesus Christ. And it's purely because of what he has done. And that's why he says Satan is already judged. Sin is already judged. You, as Christian, have no need to live under the judgment of sin. You can be free from sin. And you should know that, that you are completely freed from sin. Do you still fight against sin? Yes and amen. But ultimately, you have been freed from sin. You have been separated from that sin. And it is because Satan and sin is judged. But the same way in which Satan and sin is judged, we will be judged if we are still under sin. We are still of our father, the devil. And if that is who we are, we have not been translated from darkness into light, we are still under sin. And therefore we will also be judged as Satan is judged. And so that is the first work that the Spirit will do. It will convict the sinner of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now I want to remind all of us who are saved that this is the work of the Spirit. It's so easy to take this upon us and say that I am going to go about conv- convicting people of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, as Christian, what do you need to do? You need to align yourself with what the Spirit is doing. So if you are preaching the gospel, if you are talking to someone about Christ, you cannot not speak about sin. You cannot not speak about God's righteousness and the righteousness in Christ. And you cannot not speak about judgment that's coming. So if you preach a gospel that does not have that, you are not preaching the full gospel. You have to align yourself with what the Spirit is doing. But you do not bring that conviction. You are not going and lingering and laying and please and that is the Spirit is going to convict that sinner of of sin, righteousness and judgment. And that should both free you from that burden of why is this person not repenting? Right? You, you cannot do that. It is not someone who convicted me. It is the Spirit of God who convicted me that I am a sinner and I am going to hell. It is the Spirit who did that. Now the message needs to be clear. We need to line ourselves up with what the Spirit is preaching. But we cannot bring that conviction. Our aim is not conviction. Our aim is truth. If truth convicts, that's what the Spirit is doing. So I'm not, by telling you that if you die in your sins, you are going to hell. I'm not trying to do the work of the Spirit. But if that is true, the Spirit will convict you. And so I am to, I, my, my message and all of our messages as Christians is to tell the truth. So align yourself with truth, stand up for truth, but let the Spirit, spirit convict and declare people guilty. This has to be a part, not just of your content of your message, but also the way in which you bring across the message. Not to try and bring that conviction. Let the work of the Spirit do that. Secondly, I want us to um, look at the converting of the soul. So it's the convicting of the sinner, and then there's the converting of the soul. You can turn to Titus chapter 3. Keep your place in John, sorry. Keep your place in John. Um, I just want to show you a few verses about how the converting of the soul is the work of the Spirit. But you may remember when, when Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and he was telling him that he needs to be born again. And Nicodemus says, must I go again into my, into my mother's womb? And Jesus says, no, what's born of the flesh is flesh. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So now that you've been convicted of sin, righteousness and judgment you now need to be reborn, but that also is a function of the Spirit. In Galatians 3.3, having begun in the Spirit, it implies that that's where it begins. It begins with the Spirit. Titus 3 and verse 5, Titus 3.5 says, uh, let's read verse 4, but after that the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, It's exactly what we were looking at just now. It's not by our works of righteousness, but according to His mercy, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. 
Our regeneration, our renewing, our being made a new creature is through the work of the Holy Spirit. So we cannot separate our conversion, our beginning, our first love, that initiation of our salvation from the Spirit. The Spirit brought us to that point of conviction and the Spirit is also the one that does the regeneration within us once we have been convicted of that sin and righteousness and judgment. So, once you get confronted with that conviction, you have a choice. Are you going to repent or not? Are you going to believe or not? Look, if the Spirit is, is working in your heart to say that you are guilty of sin, of unbelief, you are guilty of not being righteous as Christ is righteous, you are guilty in trying to establish your own righteousness, that's what the Spirit's going to do. But you don't have to believe that. You, you can resist the Spirit. And that is why I'm saying there, at that point, when you are confronted with your guilt, what is your response? And the moment you say, I believe in Christ, my Savior. The moment you place your faith not on yourself anymore, but you transfer it to Christ and His righteousness, that is the moment that the Spirit starts to regenerate you, starts to create the new man, and you start being conformed to the image of Christ. Now, the Spirit does not just seek to convert the soul in the sense that if you're a lost soul, to convert you to be saved. But I also think in our hearts that we also can have lost souls at times. We can at times have drifted from where we are supposed to be. We can at times have forsaken as what happened in Galatians 3. We can have placed our emphasis so much on what must and mustn't I do and what must I believe and not believe and all of that, and you sort of start drifting from what the work of the Spirit is. You slowly start quenching that fire. You slowly start grieving that Spirit which is seeking to work in fullness through you. And so we need to be not reconverted in the sense of saved, but can I say be brought back to where God wants us to be. And that is becoming more like Christ. That is falling in line with the work of the Spirit, the converting of our souls, but also the converting of the souls who are lost. And then lastly, I want to look at the comfort of the saints. So we've looked at convicting of the sinner, the converting of the soul, and also now the comfort of the saint. John chapter 14. John chapter 14. We sing a song that says, The Comforter has come. This reference to the Spirit of Christ that has come to comfort us, especially there in the beginning, those disciples who were walking with Jesus every day, and now Jesus says, It is needful for me to go. And so he says, But don't worry, I won't leave you alone. I am sending the Comforter. John chapter 14, verse uh, 16. And I will pray the Father and he will give you another comforter that may abide with you forever. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not. Neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Jesus is saying that what is coming (laughs) is going to be should be as real as me being with you. That comfort should be so real as if I were here guiding you. That Spirit gave them power to be the witnesses everywhere they went. And we'll look at a few examples of that just now. But the Comforter has come. And I think the first thing about what does it mean that if you're saved, the Comforter has come and He has made His dwelling place, like it says here, in you, it means that you, first of all, are never alone. I think, of, I think of the people like Wenzel and Sulis <laughs> who are far away in a place where they don't have what we have here. But if you listen to that man speak, you know he's not alone. Right. If you see what he's doing for Christ, you know it's not in his own power. Right. So he is comforted even though he is not in this congregation or amongst the believers as we are. That is the realness 
of the Spirit. I just want to point out a word in verse 17. It says, even the Spirit of truth. Remember I said that we are not, we are not, our job is not the conviction, but truth. It's because the Spirit is truth. We preach truth. And so that is, I want you to just note that word because it's going to come up a few times, the Spirit of truth. So the second thing that the Spirit does is the first thing is, in a practical sense, He is with us. He's working in us and He is working through us. But then in, in, in John chapter 14, verse 26, um, John 14:26, it says, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. So the f- second thing that the, the Spirit does is he brings things to our remembrance, specifically the things which Jesus said, the things that Jesus taught. Um, it's, it's, it's quite uncomfortable to be in a position where you know Jesus said something about this. And I should know what that something is. Or Jesus would have handled this in a certain way, and I'm sure the Bible says something about this, but I don't know. It's even more comfortable if someone comes to you and asks you, and you don't know. Now, I'm using the word uncomfortable, uncomfortable, (laughs) loosely because we're talking about the comforter. One One way in which the Spirit comforts us is by teaching us the things that we need to know, pertaining our Savior. We don't want to be in a, in a position where we are ashamed for not knowing what Jesus said, what Jesus expects. So we want to, in firstly, be brought to remembrance of all those things which Jesus has said. It would lead to a lot of confusion and panic if we didn't know what Jesus said. But therefore we can praise God that through inspiration, these gospel accounts of Jesus' life were written up for us as a, um, a template or a guideline of what did Jesus do? Yes. How did Jesus walk? How did Jesus respond? What did Jesus say about this and that? And so when you get confronted with something in your walk, on your daily life, you can say, but the Spirit brings that to my remembrance that Jesus did so and so. So do you see how, once again, Spirit and Word go, go together? Yes. You cannot devoid the work of the Spirit. He's the one who gave these words. <laughs> He's the one who inspired these words. So we cannot devoid those two. So the first thing that the Spirit will do is He will bring the things which Jesus taught and did to our remembrance. But it also says in, in um, uh, John 14, verse 17, as I pointed out to you, He is the Spirit of truth. Have a look at um, John 15:26. It says, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Have a look at um, chapter 16, verse 13. Howbeit, when the Spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but um, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak and he shall show you things to come. So, the Spirit of truth. He shall guide you into truth. It's all about the truth that the Spirit will guide us into. So, yes, Jesus' words. His ways are true. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So, yes, that is what the Spirit will bring to remembrance. But I want to say there is, let's call that a subset of the greater body of truth. And that is that everything that the Spirit revealed in the New Testament, and even those things revealed in the New Testament, pointing back to what happened in the Old Testament. That is the work of the Spirit. It's this whole body of truth which we have revealed through His Spirit. So, we want Jesus' words, but we want truth. We want those two things as our guide in this life, and we cannot have that without the working of the Spirit. Number one, either we will misunderstand what the Spirit has said, right? So, If this is what the author has said, why would we turn to someone else to find understanding? 1 Corinthians 2 says that these spiritual things are spiritually discerned. It says that the Spirit seeks the deep things, searches the deep things of God. The Spirit of man can understand the Spirit of a man, 
But how do we understand the mind of God? Unless the Spirit searches those deep things, reveals it to us, and then we can spiritually discern and spiritually understand. We cannot do that. And that is why there are so many misunderstandings of what God has said. It's because people who are not always saved are preaching, are teaching, are putting videos on Facebook, are whatever the case is. And so you have all this abuse of truth, which is falsehood, but it's because the Spirit is not in that. And so we want the Spirit of God, not just, we don't want to read the Bible, open the Bible and read it and say, oh, I read something interesting today. What did the Spirit intend for that passage? And what is the Spirit telling you to do about that which you have read? We want to be in line with the truth of the Spirit. And I want to say that you cannot know truth if it is not being revealed to you in the way the Spirit wants it to be revealed. What I mean by that is, I'm not saying you can't have doctrine. You cannot have truth. Now, truth is not just, this is what it says. It is, this is what it says, this is what you must do about it. That is truth. That is the cycle of truth. It is, this is what it says, this is what it means, what I must do about it. It's not just the dead letter. And so the Spirit needs to guide us into the truth. Now, the third, fourth thing that the Spirit does in order to comfort the saint is it'll show you how to glorify God. Look at the very next verse in John chapter 16. It says, uh, He will guide us into truth. And then verse 14 says, And He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine, and I shall show it unto you. So He shall glorify Me. The Spirit works in you to convert your soul. The Spirit works on you to bring Christ's words to your remembrance. The Spirit works in you to guide you into all truth. The Spirit searches and reveals the deep things of God. How can your life glorify God if you do not have that? If the Spirit is the one who speaks to you and converts you, if the Spirit is the one who guides you into the truth, if the Spirit is the one who teaches you the deep things of God, how can you expect to glorify God if you're not in line with what the Spirit is doing? And so that is why you cannot, he says, he will glorify me. So if you're following the Spirit, if you are walking in the Spirit, while he's glorifying God, your life automatically starts glorifying God because you are in the working of the Spirit. As soon as you step out of that and you walk in the flesh, you don't walk in the Spirit, you are automatically disqualifying your life from being glorious to God. So we want to align ourselves with truth we understand that it is the work of the Spirit that does all these things, and by me being aligned with that, my life now has the capacity to yes. glorify yes. Him. Amen. Amen. Have a look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Now this is speaking to saved people who, are, who need to walk the walk. Right? So in verse 1 it says, There is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. So this whole chapter emphasizes walking in the Spirit. Can I essentially say that is, what does a walk look like that glorifies God? Because it is the Spirit which glorifies God, so if I am walking in that, I am glorifying God. So what does this walk look like? Let's, have, let's read verse 10. Romans 8.10 If Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit which dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if we live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For ye have not received the Spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the Spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Spirit, the Spirit is central almost in every verse, from, from verse 1, you look, every verse, every second verse, 
the Spirit, yeah. walking in the Spirit, being guided by the Spirit. The Spirit which gave life is the same Spirit which will ultimately glorify our bodies. The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. So we cannot um, separate glorifying God from the work of the Spirit in our lives. If you start looking at the Bible as a means to purely teach you right doctrine, so that you can stand up and say, this is the doctrine, that is not glorifying to God. That is, that is exactly what God, what Jesus spoke against when, you say, when he speaks about your sacrifices and all these things that you bring, but he, God desires mercy. God desires obedience. Right? That is the offerings that we should bring. These are the offerings that are pleasing to him. Is a life that is surrendered to say, Lord, I'm not going to walk after the flesh and the desires of the flesh, but I'm going to submit my life to yielding and the working of your spirit within me. And in that way, I know that I can glorify you. We need to walk in that spirit. Something that's also important is your ultimate glorification. Right? When Christ returns and you get that glorified body that Christ had, that is done by the working of the spirit which dwells in you now. So that same glorification that happened to Christ after his death is the glorification that will happen to our bodies because the Spirit is already working in you. It is, in Ephesians 2, it speaks about we are already, well, in Ephesians 1, we are already seated in heavenly places. In Ephesians 2, it speaks about how that um, we have this inheritance, right? The, 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 the Spirit is that down payment. It is the, it is the deposit to say that I am going to complete this. I am going to fulfill this contract. I am going to work in this person so that they become more and more like Christ and ultimately yes. glorified. Yes. And that is the work of the Spirit from the beginning all the way through. Another thing in, in Romans 8 that I want to point you to is in the way in which the Spirit comforts us is um, in verse 16. It says that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That is comfort. Now, I want you to understand this because a lot of people don't get this. There is a difference between being saved and being assured of salvation. The one comes from a life that is lived in accordance to the working of the Spirit. The more your life is aligned with what the Spirit wants to do, with what the Spirit is doing, the more you can be assured of your salvation. That's what the Spirit does. That's the comfort that the Spirit gives. But if you, are, you can be saved but not have that because you can walk off to the flesh. The assurance comes with the Spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. So we need to, you need to understand that And something I want to also encourage you with is if you are struggling with the fact that am I saved, and it is something that really bugs you, and it is something that you struggle with frequently, I want to encourage you that someone who does not care for the Lord, who does not care for the working of the Spirit, does not really ask those questions. Because there is no no conflict. They're, They're they're living in the flesh. But as soon as you start saying... Now, where, where the problem comes in is you're not living the way that Scripture wants you to live, the way the Spirit is leading you to live. Therefore, there's conflict. There is not assurance. But that doesn't mean you're not saved. Okay? But there is also the aspect of... I don't want to say you are saved, therefore, but I want to say... Because remember, sin, righteousness, judgment. That can also be conviction. So... Test your heart. Examine yourselves whether you are in the faith. One last thing about the comforting of the saint is in Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Romans 8, 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and he that searcheth the hearts knoweth um, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That should be great comfort. When you go to pray, be careful, and I say this loosely, not as a doctrinal truth, be careful that you don't leave the Spirit out of the prayer closet. It is the fact that you have the Spirit that you can boldly approach the throne of grace. 
But at that point, when you are at the throne of grace, and you're kneeling there, and you sort of, I don't know where to start. Where do I start, Lord? Where do I finish? What should I say? And at the end of the verse, it's such an encouragement. He will um, in make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Yeah. As you are quiet there before God, He starts working in your heart to bring your heart in line with that what God's heart is. And so even if you don't say much, <laughs> as you quiet your heart and you know comfort, the Spirit is working between your humble soul and the soul of the Almighty God, that there is reconciliation. There is alignment taking place as you yield to what the work of the Spirit is. And so we need to bring ourselves to that and know that the Spirit intercedes for us as we pray. And that brings great, great comfort. Now, I think if we look back in church history, I want to highlight a few things examples of where we see the Spirit working. Okay? In Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, Jesus is baptized. Right after that it says, and he was led of the Spirit to be tempted of the devil. So Jesus gets led by the Spirit into a time of trouble and temptation. Now do you think the Spirit led Jesus to the desert and then left him? The Spirit came down on him, but the Spirit led him into that wilderness to be tempted. But you know what? When he was confronted with the temptation from Satan, he knew what to say. Because the Spirit guides him into all truth. He is the Word, and these two are aligned. And the Spirit brings these things to his mind, and he can resist the devil. So Jesus is... I'm pointing it out to you because sometimes we think walking in the Spirit or being filled with the Spirit or has, has to do with almost this euphoric spiritual experience. But sometimes it can mean sanctification, growth, a trial through which God's ultimate purposes are fulfilled and you are shaped and you are made more to the glory of God and you can be used of God in a better way through that season of trial that you have to go through. Another thing that I'd like to point you to is in, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus speaks to his disciples and he says, you will be led in front of councils and people will, um, let's read it, Matthew 10. Matthew 10 verse 19. Matthew 10 19 says, but when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what you shall speak for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in you. This happened numerous occasions in the book of Acts, but specifically one in Acts 4 where Peter and John are called to testify and say, in what power do you do these things? And by whose authority are you doing these things? And their response is, and it actually says there in, in Acts chapter 8 that the Spirit came upon Peter and he started speaking. And the end of his sermon or his response to the accusation, he says, whether it be right for me to obey man or God, judge he. And so it is the Spirit which in those moments give you the wisdom as to how you should respond to various situations whether it's someone who is doing evil against you, whether it is someone who is asking you an honest question, whatever the case is, the Spirit is the one that will bring these things to your remembrance and will guide you as to what you need to do and what you need to say. That we saw over and over in the book of Acts. Another interesting one to me, and this is the last one, is Paul preaching. He wants to go to Asia. He wants to go preach in Asia. But the Spirit forbade him. The Spirit says, no. Now, if, if, you, if someone comes to me and says, brother, I want to go preach in there, I'm going to be, wow, yes, let's do that. You know, that it's, go preach the gospel. But the Spirit stopped that Paul should go there. Now, he did go to Acts 19. Eventually, he went to Asia. But right there, right then, the Spirit said, no. Now, be careful because sometimes we, we, 
we sort of try and bang the door open that God has closed. Because we think this is what I must do. This is what I should do. But it could be the Spirit shutting a door for something that's good, but not timely. Not what God wants you to do right now. So if, it is, if you're wondering what God wants you to do, if you're wondering, search the Scriptures. Right? They will tell you what it is. But leave the timing up to God to open that door for you to go where it is He wants you to go and what it is He needs you to do. So today we looked at the necessity of the Spirit in the convicting of the sinner's heart, the converting of our souls and the souls of those who are lost, but also the comfort of the saint. So my heart and my motive behind this message is I want us to rethink the way in which we view the work of the Spirit. Have we maybe substituted the work of the Spirit in some way by saying that um, I can read the Bible, I don't have to, I don't have to pay so much attention to what the Spirit, I can, I, I can read, I, I know the Bible. I have a commentary, I have a dictionary, I, I can understand this. Do we sometimes exclude the work of the Spirit through the Scriptures in our lives? Do we sometimes preach the Gospel purely because well, that's what I have to do as a Christian. And we forget that it is the Spirit that is going to do the conviction. So you need the Spirit with you if you think you're going to have any effect in the hearts of other people. Let's check ourselves. Let's say, have we maybe excluded the work of the Spirit in the convicting of the sinner, the converting of my soul, the soul of others, or the comfort that the Spirit is supposed to bring in my life, but maybe I've pushed it away such that I am not comforted the way that I should be. Let's align ourselves with the function of the Spirit and that the fullness of the Spirit can dwell in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time, for your work through your Word and through your Spirit. Father, I pray now that that which you have laid on each of our hearts, something different, maybe it's the same thing, Lord, but that you will do the conviction. Lord, that our hearts will want to be aligned with yours, whether we're lost or whether we're saved. Please come convict our hearts, ultimately, Father, for your glory. Amen. Amen. Now he's preached to you about the necessity of the Spirit and how we need Him. What does the Spirit need from us? I, I'll tell you the verse that came to mind. Revelation 2 let him that hath an ear to hear, hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. We need him in every way, from beginning to end, to save us, form us, and then eventually resurrect us, right? The whole thing, we need to be walking in the Spirit. What does he need from us? What is the necessity of the Spirit from us? Say, Lord, what is it from that sermon you need me to hear? What do you want me to change? Well, what, what nugget do, am I going to take home? So let's all stand. I want our heads bowed and eyes closed. And just ask yourself today, what was it that the Holy Spirit was trying to tell me? The pianist will play softly. We'll take just a, a few moments to listen for that still, small voice. Heads bowed and eyes closed. If you need to, perhaps bow the knee where you're at and take some time there in your own private little altar. Every single one of us, the Holy Spirit is interested in ministering to us. doesn't matter where you're at in life. If you're not saved, He's interested in saving your soul. If you've been saved, He's interested in helping you grow. If you've been saved and maybe not taking Him seriously, maybe you've forgotten to have that ear to hear, Perhaps today you incline your ear towards Him and say, Lord, I'm, I'm going to listen a little more closely. What, what a thought that Jesus says, I'll send the Comforter to you. Then He says, I will come to you. You, you realize what we have. It is Jesus, but in spiritual form. 
just like the disciples walked with him they they had it physically we have that but spiritually now if you've never been born again we would love absolutely love before you left the room today before you stepped out to have Jesus go from outside knocking at the door of your heart to inside living in you dwelling in you so if that's never happened if you've never been born again after we're done you can come quietly find find myself find brother Garrett who preached for us this morning and just ask could you please help me with that perhaps you have some questions we'll take you aside privately and do our very best to just give you truth and then leave that decision between you and the Holy Spirit speaking to you believers today you step out and immediately let's be mindful starting now Lord I, whatever it is you need me to do I'm willing I don't want to resist it doesn't have to be dramatic you lead I'll follow Father we thank you for speaking to our hearts today reminding us of the great necessity we have for the Holy Spirit to work Lord for you to say that it is expedient that you go away so that the Holy Spirit could come we have to take seriously the fact that he's here with us now working amongst us Lord you don't have to do the dramatic to get the work done Lord, if someone's lost, might you please bring that conviction for those that are saved. Bring us back in line where we need to be. And if we're there, help us, Lord, to maintain that balance. We need you in every, every hour, every situation. Father, thank you for sending your son to die and rise again and now sending your spirit to guide us through this life. We thank you for it. As we step out, bless the rest of our time together with friends and family. Might we ever be mindful that you are here with us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for being here today. Appreciate all the visitors. You guys stick around as long as you like. Have a great evening. No evening service. You guys get some good rest.